Decision Podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law. People v. Carlos L. David, decided November 21, 2023. Halligan, J. Defendant Carlos L. David challenges his conviction for two counts of criminal possession of a weapon in the second degree, see Penal Law Section 265.033, on several grounds. He argues that the police recovered the handguns that gave rise to his conviction during an invalid inventory search, and that Supreme Court improperly allowed prejudicial testimony at his trial. Neither argument provides grounds for reversal. David additionally argues that Penal Law Section 265.033 is facially unconstitutional under New York State Rifle and Pistol Association Inc. v. Bruin. This argument is unpreserved, and for the reasons set forth below, we do not reach it. Late on a September evening in 2017, a Rochester Police Department officer observed David driving an SUV without its headlights on and pulled him over. David was alone in the car which was registered to a woman who was not present. Upon learning that David possessed only learner's permit, not a valid driver's license, and noting that David had parked partially in the bike lane, the officer decided the car had to be towed. The officer then conducted an inventory search of the vehicle and recovered two handguns and a large amount of cash. David was charged with two counts of criminal possession of a weapon in the second degree under Penal Law Section 265.03. 3. He moved to suppress the handguns as the fruit of an invalid search. At the Dunaway-slash-Map-slash-Huntley hearing, the officer read into the record Rochester Police Department Regulations General Order 511-E, which provides that, when deciding whether to tow a vehicle for safekeeping, members will take into consideration such factors as, the crime rate in the area and proximity of the operator-slash-owner's residence, valuables in the vehicle, and whether or not another person is readily available who can operate the car. The officer testified that he decided to tow the car because it was illegally parked in a no-parking area, partially blocking the bike lane and the flow of traffic. He also stated that he did not call the car's owner and did not realize that the address to which the car was registered was merely three blocks away. The suppression court rejected David's argument that the officer failed to follow police department protocol by not considering alternatives to towing. The court fully credited, the officer's testimony, holding that, as the officer discovered that the defendant failed to possess a valid driver's license and his vehicle was improperly parked, he was authorized to tow the vehicle. The court further found that the officer had appropriately towed the defendant's vehicle pursuant to the general orders of his police department. In advance of trial, David also moved to exclude evidence of the cash found in the vehicle on the grounds that its prejudicial nature outweighed its probative value. The people responded that the cash tended to show David's connection to the car, and therefore that he knowingly possessed the guns, and Supreme Court denied the motion. David was convicted of both counts and appealed. The appellate division affirmed, reasoning that the suppression hearing testimony established that it is the policy of the Rochester Police Department to tow a vehicle and conduct an inventory search when, following a traffic stop, there is no licensed driver present, and that because David did not have a driver's license and was the sole driver present, 
the officer properly decided to tow the vehicle. The appellate division further concluded that the record did not support an inference that the inventory search was a mere pretext to uncover incriminating evidence. After the U.S. Supreme Court decided Bruin, but before the appellate division decided David's appeal, David had moved for leave to file a supplemental brief arguing that Bruin rendered penal law section 265.033 facially unconstitutional. The appellate division denied that motion and did not address Bruin. A judge of this court then granted leave to appeal. 1. We begin with David's Second Amendment challenge. On appeal, the defendant argues that the statute under which he was convicted is facially unconstitutional in light of Bruin because a defendant cannot be properly convicted solely on proof of the statutory elements set forth in Penal Law Section 265.033, which do not include the lack of a New York firearm license. He further contends that even if Penal Law Section 265.033 is read together with Penal Law Section 265.20 A3, which exempts from prosecution a person with a New York firearm license, the statutory scheme impermissibly places the burden of production to show licensure on the defendant once the people have merely shown conduct presumptively protected by the Constitution, to wit, public carry of a firearm. Parties are generally required to preserve all claims for appellate review by raising them in the trial court, including challenges involving a criminal defendant's federal constitutional rights, see People v. Tut, and the constitutionality of statutes, see for example People v. Bauman and Sons Buses Incorporated. In People v. Cabrera, decided today, we hold that an unpreserved Second Amendment challenge to Penal Law Section 265.03, 3 based on Bruin is unreviewable, and to the extent David likewise argues that Bruin renders unconstitutional New York's entire licensing regime, and in turn its statutory prohibition on criminal possession of a weapon, that challenge is unreviewable for the same reasons. David also raises an additional claim, that his convictions violate due process by treating presumptively innocent conduct as unlawful and shifting the burden of production to David to show otherwise. As an initial matter, we read the statutory scheme differently than the dissent does. Because the licensure exemption is not found within the text of the relevant penal law provision criminalizing possession of a weapon, it presumptively operates as a proviso that need not be pleaded but may be raised by the accused as a bar to prosecution or a defense at trial. People v. Santana essential allegations are generally determined by the statute defining the crime, People v. Davis. In contrast to the home or place of business exception found within the text of Penal Law Section 265.02.4, which we have construed as an element of the relevant offense, see People v. Rodriguez, the licensure exemption is not found within the text of Penal Law Section 265.03.3. Rather, the legislature placed it within Penal Law Section 265.20 alongside myriad other exemptions including possession by a state prison warden in pursuit of official duty, Penal Law Section 265.20, a, 2, persons employed in fulfilling defense contracts with the federal government, Penal Law Section 265.20, a, 1, e, and a person voluntarily surrendering a weapon, Penal Law Section 265.20, a, 1, F that would not reasonably be viewed as elements of the various offenses criminalizing possession of a weapon. 
Common sense and reasonable pleading suggests the legislature did not intend that the people plead and prove every one of these exemptions, Davis, and no party has pointed us to any sign of legislative intent to treat the licensure exemption alone as the sole element among that list. Turning to the impact of Bruin, the Supreme Court's decision effected a substantial change in Second Amendment jurisprudence, as we note in Cabrera, decided today, and David raises meaningful questions about New York's statutory scheme in its wake, cf. Commonwealth v. Gordado, holding that Massachusetts statute prohibiting public possession of loaded firearms but allowing affirmative licensure defense violated due process because lack of license must be essential element of crime under Bruin. But the mode of proceedings exception set forth in People v. Patterson, on which David relies, does not provide a basis for reaching his unpreserved arguments. This court has recognized a very narrow exception to the preservation requirement for a tightly circumscribed class of non-waivable errors, People v. Kelly, that go to the essential validity of the proceedings conducted below, Patterson. In Patterson, this court reviewed an unpreserved due process challenge to a statute that placed the entire burden of proof both the burden of production and the ultimate burden of persuasion, see Schaefer x Rel. Schaefer v. Wiest, on the defendant to establish extreme emotional disturbance as an affirmative defense to murder. We reasoned that if the burden of proof was improperly placed upon the defendant, the defendant was deprived of a properly conducted trial the distribution of the burden of persuasion being just as significant as the proper composition of the jury. And we applied an exception to the need for a timely objection to ensure that criminal trials are conducted in accordance with the mode of procedure mandated by Constitution and statute. This case does not fit within the mode of proceedings exception outlined in Patterson. First, our cases following Patterson have confirmed that the mode of proceedings exception does not categorically exempt from preservation all claims related to the shifting of burdens at trial. To the contrary, we have repeatedly concluded that errors that fall short of expressly shifting the burden of persuasion to the defendant must be timely preserved, see for example People v. Thomas. No mode of proceedings exception for unpreserved argument that a permissive presumption on intent violated due process to the extent it could reasonably be interpreted by the jury to shift the burden of proof to defendant, People v. McKenzie, no mode of proceedings exception for unpreserved argument that statutory presumptions regarding possession and intent in Penal Law Section 265.153, and, 4 unconstitutionally shifted the burden of proof to defendant because the charge contained no express burden-shifting language, People v. Gray, no mode of proceedings exception for unpreserved argument that failure to charge jury that people must prove knowledge of the weight of contraband possessed lessened burden of proof, People v. Easley, no mode of proceedings exception for unpreserved argument that burden of proving knowledge of alleged victim's mental defect was unconstitutionally placed upon defendant where the defendant failed to place the affirmative defense in issue. This line of cases fully accords with Hankerson v. North Carolina, in which the U.S. Supreme Court endorsed applying a state law preservation bar even where the defendant was impermissibly forced to bear the burden of persuasion to negate an essential element, the states, if they wish, may be able to insulate past convictions by enforcing the normal and valid rule that failure to object to a jury instruction is a waiver of any claim of error in the burden of proof. Second, Penal Law Section 265.033 differs from the statute in Patterson in that it shifts only the burden of production to the defendant. Critically, 
the burden of persuasion on licensure always remains with the people, see Penal Law Section 25.001. That distinction matters for due process purposes, see Mullany v. Wilbur. Shifting the burden of persuasion to the defendant obviously places an even greater strain upon him, than shifting the burden of production, since he no longer need only present some evidence with respect to the fact at issue, he must affirmatively establish that fact. Because the shift in the burden of production alone effectuated by Penal Law Section 265.033 does not impinge on the validity of a proceeding to the same extent as requiring the defendant to bear the entire burden of proof, Patterson's preservation reasoning does not have full force here. Third, unlike the pure mode of procedure question in Patterson, David's argument rests on asserted violations of both the Second Amendment and due process a hybrid question of substance and procedure. As noted, New York's law places only the burden of production on a defendant to show licensure, a practice that is generally permissible, see for example People v. Laetta, no violation of constitutional due process in placing even the burden of persuasion on the defendant with respect to the defense of entrapment, Mullany. Many states do require the defendant to show that there is some evidence indicating that a defense is applicable, before requiring the prosecution to disprove the defense, beyond a reasonable doubt. Nothing in this opinion is intended to affect that requirement, internal citations omitted. David's contrary argument rests squarely on Bruin, he contends that in light of Bruin, the Second Amendment makes lack of licensure an essential element of the offense and bars a shift in the burden of production on that point. For the same reasons that we do not reach the Bruin-based Second Amendment arguments absent preservation, see People v. Cabrera, decided today, we reach the same conclusion regarding David's due process challenge, which is firmly grounded in his understanding of the scope of the Second Amendment. Nor is David's challenge reviewable on the grounds that the accusatory instrument was facially defective in failing to plead all constitutionally required elements, thereby depriving Supreme Court of jurisdiction. In such circumstances, we have found that preservation is required, see Bauman and Sons buses, for this court to consider a constitutional claim in the guise of an argument that the accusatory instrument is facially insufficient that would permit an end run around the party's obligation to preserve constitutional claims before the trial court. The cases David relies upon to argue otherwise are an opposite, see People v. Martinez, conviction of crime that is a legal impossibility. People v. Tannenbaum, conviction under substantive criminal statute that U.S. Supreme Court had expressly held was unconstitutional. David raises significant questions about whether, in light of Bruin, lack of licensure is an essential element of New York's criminal possession of a weapon offense and must therefore be charged to the jury in all cases. But because he did not preserve these arguments, they must await another day. 2. Turning to David's evidentiary challenges, Law enforcement officers may conduct an inventory search of an impounded vehicle without a warrant, so long as the search is conducted according to reasonable police regulations relating to inventory procedures administered in good faith. Colorado v. Bertine, see also People v. Gomez. An inventory search should be conducted pursuant to an established procedure clearly limiting the conduct of individual officers that assures that the searches are carried out consistently and reasonably. Internal quotation marks omitted. David contends that under the Rochester Police Department's protocol, the officer was required to ask where the vehicle's owner lived and whether she was available to retrieve the car but did not do so, 
and that the suppression court accordingly erred by denying his suppression motion. David's argument rests on an overly expansive reading of General Order 511, e, which requires officers to consider alternatives to towing, including whether there is another possible driver in the proximity of the owner-slash-operator's residence. That provision does not impose on officers an affirmative duty to inquire whether any alternatives exist, beyond those that are raised for their consideration or are otherwise apparent. While David points to several facts that could have weighed against impoundment if made known to the officer during the stop, the record is undisputed that David did not inform the officer of these facts at the time. The officer did not realize that the owner's residence was nearby, nor did David tell him. Moreover, David could not legally drive the car away from the scene, and there was no other licensed driver present. In some circumstances, an officer may need to explore alternatives to impoundment, but here, the decision to tow the vehicle was not in contravention of the police department's policy, see People v. Walker, where no facts were brought to the officer's attention to show that impounding would be unnecessary, officers are not required to take further steps, even where a potential alternative driver is present on the scene. Relying on People v. Gomez, David also argues that it was particularly unreasonable to impound and then search his vehicle given that he was pulled over for a minor driving infraction. The car was not stolen nor was his license revoked, he was not under the influence of alcohol or drugs, and the car was parked only because the police had pulled him over and only partially impeded the bike lane. But David does not contest that he could not legally drive the car and there was no other authorized and capable driver present. Accordingly, the decision to tow was not unreasonable, and thus neither was the search. Finally, David argues that Supreme Court abused its discretion in allowing testimony related to the cash found in the same compartment as the guns because the evidence was more prejudicial than it was probative. Evidence is relevant if it has any tendency and reason to prove the existence of any material fact, people v. Musa, internal quotation marks omitted, but trial courts retain discretion to exclude relevant evidence if its probative value is outweighed by undue prejudice to the opposing party. People v. Primo. The people argue that the presence of the cash in the same location as the guns made it more likely that David knew the guns were present. While the connection between these two facts may be tenuous and the probative value thus limited, the risk of prejudice was low given that the testimony about the cash was brief and accompanied the general list of items found in the inventory search, for that reason, any error in allowing the testimony was harmless. Accordingly, the order of the appellate division should be affirmed. Order affirmed. Opinion by Judge Halligan. Chief Judge Wilson and Judges Garcia, Singas, Canataro and Troutman concur. Judge Rivera dissents in an opinion. Decided November 21, 2023. Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by voice pods convert your text to voice at voicepods.com read this decision at nipt law www.nypti.org slash law